Welcome to the Get It Done Podcast. Today we're interviewing Brian Covey. Let's get it done. All right, hey everybody. So we today we have Brian Covey. Brian is a leader in the mortgage space. And if you don't know about Brian, you really should. He's a VP at Loan Depot. He has 262,000 followers on IG. My goodness. He has a blue check mark next to his name on Facebook. And I know that like, look, that's all cool and everything, but I also know him as a total real guy. He's the same person that you could find on social as off. He's a husband, he's a father, and he really leads our space with, you know, living a happy, genuine, good life. And um, Brian, I'm just, I'm super pumped to dig into your story today. Welcome to the show. Dude, thanks, Jimmy. And I know we've connected up for a while and that's the power of social, right? Like you start to build relationships online, then you can take them offline. And it, it's a pretty powerful tool that once, once you lean into it, it's changed my life where I look now, I'm just thankful. You get to meet some really cool people that you probably wouldn't have otherwise. Hey, absolutely. And people like you, I mean, you know, you're commenting on some stuff that I'm posting and I'm commenting on some stuff that you're posting and, you know, we could be a thousand miles away, but it's just cool because a lot of times we're as loan officers or financial planners, real estate agents, these types of people, we're, we're different in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And to find a group of people that are really like-minded and are after the same goals as you, and you can connect with them a thousand miles away, it's just, it's an epic thing. So um, I, is there anything that I maybe missed in my my very brief edification of you? Anything that you're, you're particularly proud of that you'd want to share? No, man, you hit on it. Like being a husband, my wife and I'll be married 20 years this August. Wow. Uh, my kids, six, 13, and my daughter's about to be 15. They play sports. I get to hang out. Like I'm just, I'm just a normal dude, right? Like I tell Rice, I love to go work out, love music, love to travel. It's just, just all those things. It happened to be in the mortgage business, right? Uh, I always say is uh, that doesn't define me. It's all the other things that are really more of who I am. 100%. And, and I, I see that all over social too. That's not just like a statement, you know, no. I see you playing soccer with your kids or, or working out in the morning with a cool background beat. And um, I really do look up to you in a social aspect. I've, I've definitely uh, copied some things that you've done um, at, through watching you and I encourage other others to do the same. So we're going to get right into it. Uh, the Get It Done podcast is really all about the come up story. And we use Elon Musk as an example. Uh, he has a great story from making a million dollars to a billion dollars. And that's a great story. But what we're looking for is really the zero to a million story, the come up story. And the best place to start that, Brian, is where were you born? Um, what were your parents like? What was your first you know, early years of your childhood? I mean, so I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee and uh, go Tigers. And I had an older brother and still kind of like one, one of the guys I look up to. He's five years older than me. So for all the younger siblings, you'll you'll appreciate this as I grew up on a soccer field and a basketball court because you know, my older brother was playing sports and my dad volunteered and coached and you know, my mom, they both worked. And so they usually we'd stay in after school and we would just play sports. And as I kind of went on from there, it was a, an interesting turn of events in the sixth grade. I shared this story this last weekend of just typical Wednesday afternoon. I'm leaving school with my brother and it happened to be raining really bad. It's like windy roads. If you can imagine in Memphis, where we went to school, this one area, and you've got these old oak trees. Like, have you ever seen those like 100-year-old, like just massive, massive oak trees? And it was a beautiful area. Uh, But that day, it's raining really hard. And I remember leaving, and we are going around this turn, and we lose control. 
and and the truck starts to spin and spin and spin. Some point during the spin, we end up running into an oak tree on my side. Um, my hand goes through the windshield, my head smashes, my collarbone breaks, all of this stuff. And as the story is told to me after that, because I'm unconscious and I decide, I guess I get out of the vehicle. I start walking around. Um, what I coin as a guardian angel pulls up, stops for whatever reason she stops and gets me to lie down. As I'm walking around, my brain is starting to swell and all these things are starting to happen. And as it's kind of shared with me, she gets me just to, to lay down right there. And she happened to be the right place at the right time, all these things. And she's a nurse. Imagine that, like the exact right person at the exact right time. So fast forward, I wake up in the hospital and all that. I'll never forget where I am today is a large part because my mom comes in and I'll give you a little insight into her personality. She's just checking in on me, praying over me, all this stuff. And she's like, you know, Brian, well, at least you're going to have like a couple weeks, maybe a month out of school, you know, like just makes light of it, you know, just so positive about everything. Like at least you're, you're good. Like didn't break any bones in your legs. You can still run. And I'm like, that's a way to look at it. You know, my dad was always the one like, well, you'll be able to, it sounds like you'll be able to start training here in a couple months again. Like you're not going to miss much soccer. <laughs> so, so those are my parents, right? Like super positive, super driven, but, but they were very engaged. And a large part of like who I am today is just to honor them because the sacrifices they made, the investments they made in me and my brother and our family, that, that's who I am today. And I recognize that I'm a very positive person. I like to see things for, for the best, I like to see the best in people. But I'm also on the flip side of that, like I'm highly competitive and highly driven. And, and so I tell that story because for most of you can relate to that. Like you got something from your parents and it's usually to try to honor what they did. You learn from them. You don't want to be exactly like them in certain areas. Like I'm going to take what I learned and I'm going to go do it my way. And that is a large part of, of who Brian is today. And you'll, you'll see that come out in a lot of the things, whether we meet in person or on social. Well, I really love that. And, you know, when we first met, we actually, we, we, we were talking about, oh, <clears throat> excuse me, you knew who Rene Rodriguez was. And I had told you like, hey, man, you got to go to Amplify. You oh, yeah. gotta go. And now you've gone. And when you were talking just now about, you know, look, this happened when I was six and, you know, my parents were super, you know, positive and they were really encouraging me. Uh, you mentioned like, look, this is how I honor, you know, who, who, who I was. And Rene actually talks about this a lot. He's like, look, most of the things we do, are the result of something that's happened to us from ages nine to 13. Yeah. And we're looking to either honor our past or heal our past. How do you honor it? I think it's the daily choices we make, right? And I, I say for us, like what matters most in, in, in our family growing up and now the family that I get to lead um, with my direct family is that look, being a great dad, like showing up, being positive, encouraging my kids, not giving them the easy way out on things like challenge. Like when you see those workouts, like I'm pushing my boys when they're out there or it's my daughter and we're training for soccer. I want to be able to motivate, inspire them. And it's by my actions. And so when I show up and I go work out, it's hard for them to go, Hey daddy, I don't want to really go work out. I don't want to do anything extra. I'm just going to go to practice. No, that's, that is not the Covey way at all. And so I share that. And I think part of it too, is just having conversations. You know, earlier today, I was able to take a walk with my daughter. She was here today and we just went and walked the dog at lunch. So 30 minutes, walk, talk, I think just showing up, man. Like we miss these opportunities of put the phone away, show up, do that. My parents did that really well, even though they both worked full time and we didn't have probably the quantity of time. Like they would travel on trips and all that. But I always remember the quality of our time. Like that's where memories are made. My dad showing up on the basketball court with me on a weekend and just shooting for hours 
and hours. Like, dude, that's the stuff they're going to remember. So that's how I show up. And then obviously with my wife, like uh, 20 years this year, you know, I think in our society today, everybody knows like there's ups and downs and all kinds of things to get to 20 years of doing anything or being in a relationship or just any type of commitment. I'm showing them that that's possible, right? Like whatever you want to do, it's possible. The same thing. I'm sure we'll dive into some of this, but, but they've seen us when our first two kids were born. Like we lost everything. Oh, seven, oh eight. My first two kids were born. Lost it all. Hmm. They've now seen dad never give up on his dream, never give up. And even though things weren't always easy through those seasons and years, they, they, they know for a fact, I don't give up and, and I'm not going to quit. So I think that's just, you know, how you show up every day, little things start to stack and, and they see it, right? Because you can't, you can't hide it from your kids, man. Like you, they hear you, they watch you and it's, and it's all how they're going to remember you. And, and that's going to be what the, the impression is. And you know, the thing is too, with kids is that you could be having a really terrible day and you could just like fake it, but it, it maybe, and maybe they're not old enough to truly understand, but they feel it. And it'd be something that they'd have to work through when they're 30, you know, and like, oh, this is what happened. And, uh, and just process through whatever, you know, dad was going through, but it's cool that you are spending time with them for them to know what it's like to, you know, really struggle and what it's like to, despite the struggle, you know, persevere. And, um, and I mean, brother, you're an inspiration in the gym. My goodness. Like you make a lot of, I'm sure a lot of people half your age, you're showing up people all the It's incredible. I mean, you just, you really are, you're driven and diligent and to see you want to instill that into your kids is a really great thing. And I want to just, I want to jump back to, um, after sixth grade, by the way, did it all were, were you back on the soccer field? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. You, I, right away. Long. Yeah, it wasn't long. Well, the collarbone was the hardest injury, right? Because I had massive stitches in my hand where it went through and the concussion and all that. But the collarbone was the one that I had to just work back. But again, I, it's almost like last year when I tore my bicep, like my legs still worked. Like you got to you got to work with whatever works. If you can walk, walk. If you right. can ride a bike, ride a bike. And I think, you know, that again, I just go back to. My career, I had had several injuries, tore my ACLs, tore my collarbone later playing soccer or broke my collarbone later. I, for some reason, I think you come back stronger if, if you can build that muscle, that mentality. So, yeah, I was back. I was back on the basketball court and soccer field before too long. I mean, that's it's fairly incredible, though, because a lot I think that you could very easily use it as an excuse. But I think that your parents were just so driven and such a great influence and, you know, encourager to you to get you back on your feet. It's, it's yeah. like you never, you never left. Uh, bring us, t- take us into high school. So uh, I don't know, a lot of times people have traumatic high school experiences. Uh, it, maybe did you have one? Uh, what were your first jobs? What was your first car? Oh man, good question. So my story goes back to you. soccer continued to really take off and I was playing basketball and soccer, my two loves. Tried football one year, you know, running back and all this stuff. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. You know, seventh grade is like, okay, this is cool. Eighth grade did it again, less and less. And then basketball started to kind of go, yeah, I, I, I like it, but I love soccer. Well, at the same time, soccer starting to take off for me. I made the state ODP team, like Olympic development team. And then wow. I get called up to the regional ODP team. So there's four regions, basically eight states or so in the region. And then... When I was 15, I get called up to the national team and, and get to train with our U.S. under 17 Olympic team and all these opportunities. 
traveling over to Europe, getting cool, like cool stuff. Yeah. Never knew it existed. Right. There's only a couple of us. Like you start to make friends and you're traveling and you're in these spots where like you got to learn really quick. Like your parents don't go with you. They're not hanging out with you at the uh, the national team camp, by the way. Like it's you, new coaches, players from all around the country. They're all really good. Some were older and you start to realize, dude, there's a lot of really good players here. And you start to second guess, like, well, am I good enough? Like, why am I here? Like, am I going to make the team? You just like all this whole thing. And I think that process really wired me differently to realize when you get to that level, everybody's fast, everybody's skillful, everybody's, everybody's got talent. But what I noticed is the people that went on to be really successful, like they, they had this mental side that I had not yet developed. And so this was what I say is, is one of those setbacks that taught me when I left camp, I'm like, okay, cool. Um, I didn't get selected to come back to the final team and the final squad, but I made it there. So I'm like, well, what do I need to do? Like, I'm not going to go quit. You know, I had those thoughts and went through a whole other story of like, maybe I'll just quit, blah, blah, blah. I let my, my little emotions and my, my inner voice it's crazy. Well, I realized that time my dad's a psychologist. So I share this with people sometimes as I was given the gift of my dad being a psychologist, teaching me basically visualization at about 15, 16 years old, going into high school. And those of you who don't know visualization, it's not manifest manifesting something and all this you hear about like visualization. The way I describe it is I would sit down five, 10, 15 minutes, whatever it was. And I would play the tape of the game, the way that I thought, the way I wanted to see the game play out. Now that comes back in business later and some things, but I learned a very valuable skill. And I think that helped me continue on after high school. Our, our team won state three out of four years. We had phenomenal players on the team. And I share all those experiences because like I started as the freshman, right? Like on the bench and getting a little bit of playing time, sophomore, you work your way through. And it taught me the lesson of hard work does pay off. You, you, you've got to be committed. And there were times in there. I mean, Jimmy, I remember one specifically. I didn't like to run. I'll be honest, man. Like running, like I like to play soccer. That That's running is fun. But running a track and the coach said, hey, we're all going to run three miles and we're going to target 18 minutes. Anybody that doesn't finish in 21 minutes, you're going to have to run again and like penalty. Like That's fast. That is miles. fast. <laughs> yeah. like, okay. Well, what does that do for people that like us? Like it triggered. It goes, I started to train. I started to wake up at 5 a.m. I started to learn how to run faster. I started to like lose weight. I started to dial in some of those things. And, and I'll never forget, I was able, I was able to make it right. And then in college, we do the two mile and 12 minute test and things like that, that, that I didn't think were possible, didn't think were there. They weren't my strong suits, but when you accomplish a goal that you were afraid of doing and like you work for it, dude, like yeah. that's the lesson is anybody, if you work hard and you, you really commit to it, you can be significantly better than where you are today. And, and that's what I always say is like, I, just, I wasn't willing to give up. Like I was willing to try stuff and it didn't always work, but um, those are some good years. It taught me lessons about hard work and, and commitment. I think it's, it's not just trying stuff too. I think that a lot of times people want to have, like, for instance, if we, if we take this into like a social perspective, it's like people think that they, they're going to go viral or, oh, you know, yeah. you're going to just make one move and you're going to all of a sudden be a millionaire or whatever it is. Uh, no, you have to go and play with, you know, the big fish and learn that you might get eaten up. You know, and I think that with I really love the story of, of here. I, I made this Olympic team and man, everybody's fast. Everybody's good. Everybody's like really gifted and talented. And I mean, I've been told I'm gifted and talented for a long time. 
But I mean, it's not even, it's not just that you have to work it, especially when you're at that level, because someone could be less talented than you at that particular level, but just work their butts off yeah. and, and they're going to make it. Um, and that's interesting. You learn that at such a young age. I think like that's something that people don't even learn till they're 30, you know, I mean, no, it's, it's life lessons. The other one that I take away from that, as you were talking, I was, it kind of triggered a memory of, I remember going into the cafeteria when we were at camp. And, and I recognized for the first time, it wasn't just what these guys were doing on the field. They showed up early to when we were leaving for the bus, they showed up early and they ate better foods. They showed up early. They stayed late. Like I started to watch and witness these things these guys are doing. I'm like, there's a whole other level to this, right? So it's even today, what do you do on and off the field and in life? Like, what are you doing in your business at your home? Like those things. And it's not what you see. Sometimes the, the the muscles are being built when you're when nobody's looking. And everything matters too. Um, yeah. You know, it, it, I, I was telling you, I was I was listening to uh, Ryan Sirhan's uh, in, interview that you did with him, and I think that a lot of people will, will fake it till they make it. Well, that's only going to last so long. And, yeah. and 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 also too, from a mental perspective, you are you're going mental. Like you're, you're, you're becoming somebody that you actually aren't or, and then what if you become them and you're actually not them? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, how depressed do you really want to be? Why don't you just figure out what you're good at and then go do it? What, what, you know, figure out what you love and then go do it. And I mean, it's abundantly clear that you love soccer. Um, so, so look, so you make it to your senior year playing soccer at, I'm, I'm we're still in, 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 in high school, but before we go, go on, what was your first job and what was uh, your first car? Oh, yeah. So that, well, when I got injured, I broke um, fifth metatarsal in my foot. So people that know like all that orthodontic stuff, all that um, um, ortho, it's it's <laughs> not great, man. Like you break your foot in soccer, you can't run, you can't kick a ball. <laughs> so I yeah. end up going to what was, um, do you know the store structure for men? It's now Express for men. Okay. So I go so close. Uh, I'm like, and nobody's going to hire me. I try that. I'm doing some coaching on the side, but again, my foot's broken. So it's like, dude, I'm walking in the boot. So there's not really a lot of coaching and stuff. So yeah. And you're selling that. clothes in the boot too. I mean, selling they sell clothes. shoes too. Oh my God. Oh. They must have, you must have sold so many clothes because people felt bad for you. Like Pretty much. That was, that was, that was my go-to of like, you know, people like always, I mean, it was always a talking point, right? They'd see the boot and it's like, I tell them the story and everything. So that was my first what I would say is like real job outside of like coaching or helping out with my, my parents, uh, my dad's practice or any of that stuff. Just learned it. First car uh, shared with my brother uh, was a, a pickup truck, man. It was a Toyota. I'm trying to remember. I remember the model, but it was like one of those, like, I think it might've had the extra little small cab, but it was small. And then ended up sharing with my dad a little bit. He got a cool Jeep. I remember that was fun. And uh, Tacoma, right? No, the Toyota, it was a smaller version. It wasn't even, it wasn't even as big as a Tacoma, man. It was like, I remember it was brown and like tan. I, I remember part of that. It's like, it wasn't even, um, it, it was awesome because I had a car to share, you know? And the right. first car that I remember I put any money into that I got was a little Mitsubishi Eclipse. I think I was 18 and I put the JL audio speakers in the back, right? Because I'm in Memphis. You got to have bass. I'm a bass player, all, all this. So that was that, that was kind of my journey of uh, of different cars and trucks. Like 
I'll drive whatever, man. That that's really funny that you that you that you bought it a Mitsubishi Eclipse and and put the the subwoofers in the back. I can honestly like picture it, like high yeah. school version of like just like and like you had to have like the biggest base that like basically oh. fits the whole back there. Like you couldn't even put anything in it. Type of a thing. You could hear it coming down the street before practices. People would laugh coming to practice or from the high school, you know. And I just remember I was like, I look back now, I was like, God, such a tool. Like what was I, I doing? <laughs> Right, like what else could you have put your money into? Yet you put a hundred percent of it into that, you know. Yeah. Um, what so so wait, so you helped your dad doing I'm sorry, I missed that. You helped your dad doing doing psychology. Oh, so he had his psychology practice, and so every once in a while I'd help him um with just like little odds and ends at the office and like clerical stuff or like move boxes, like nothing okay. really fancy, you know what I mean? It was like well, it's his after he left the hospital, it was his it was he went out on his own and opened his own practice, and so it was a family. It still is a family thing now where it's his baby and my mom helps him. And that's become his passion and purpose in life. Well, knowing the man that you are today, as far as leadership, um, I would say that there's not a lot of people that could, I don't know, stand up next to you from in the leadership. Per, per, I don't know. What, how do you measure leadership? But like mm. you're, you're a leader in that space. And I have to imagine that your dad played a significant role, just significant, just yeah. particular in the psychology piece. I mean, did you get to like, I mean, you're not like listening in or anything, but if you're like, yeah. if you're a part of it, like, I mean, your dad's a psychologist. So of course, some of that's going to, I guess, be injected into you. But I guess, how did you, did you get any of that? Did, did you get any, like, I guess, special knowledge, special, like here, you should learn this, learn that, or I guess what set you down the leadership path earlier on? So probably the ones with, um, you know, obviously we had the seven habits book and all the Stephen Covey stuff and all those sort of early age. Like I was reading that, but then I took a lot of uh, personality tests because my dad would actually administer. That was part of what he did is he would have people come in and they would take these Myers-Briggs or any of those um, disc profile, all of that. So I, at an early age, I'm taking these things like understanding. Wow. Oh, yeah. It almost set me on the trajectory when I went into college. I was like, well, maybe I want to do that. And then I saw what my dad went through to go back and get his doctorate. And he had been a counselor in like the prisons and helped out at hospitals and all this. I'm like. I don't know if I want to do that. Um, and, and it was just all that just being around it. I would tell you, absolutely. The the biggest thing though, outside of him just being amazing and caring and this, this mix of driven, but caring is like the tools like visualization today that I still use. And then tools like understanding people. And I have a very, and it's weird. My wife will tell me that she's like, your read on people quickly is scary. And and I have to listen to that because sometimes I want to see the best in people. But what I learned is there actually are like frequencies and energy that we will transmit. And so you just have to be aware of those. So, yeah, I learned stuff in an early. I didn't even understand it that now in my 40s, it's starting to become clearer just over time that I go, oh, that's where I learned that from. Huh. OK. It's, it's just I've got more clarity around it is wisdom and years behind me now. Well, because sometimes you can read a book and like you can understand it, but you don't really truly understand until you actually feel it or you're, you're you're in the situation where it really matters and you have to actually make a decision. And I, I mean, especially in, in your role, you're hiring people. You have to let people go. Uh, you have to position people, reposition people. Yeah. And it's tough. And a lot of times it's thankless, you know, and or you, you meet op opposition to it, but you got to be sure. And yeah, that's that's certainly a. A difficult trait to learn if you're not at least, I guess, putting in the work to to learn it. You got to experience it. And so I always share this with people is 
like I can tell you about a great restaurant, right? Like we went to this great restaurant, you know, Jimmy, here's where it is. Here's what the food was and all that. It doesn't compare to what if I took you to the restaurant, you went in there, you got the music, you got the vibe, you got the table, you get to eat the food, you know, you, you get to experience it. The, there, you can't trade those, right? right? Like that, that's, that stuff you, you've got to experience so on the leadership journey. I think I've been, I'm thankful for just you know, a lot of great people around me and a lot of things I've experienced. And this is my 21st year in, in the mortgage business that it's a lot of lessons. I, I didn't have the same year. It's like, I think Barry Habib said that before, like I have 21. They're almost all very different. I hate to say very different, but they all, I could look back and there are seasons in each of those years that I learned something or I went through something each of those years. I didn't have a year repeat itself. I think that's the case for every loan officer everywhere. I, I personally, I got into the industry in 2007. I mean, my goodness, it was, a, it was literally a different world back then. Oh, and yeah. there's nothing was the same. And I, I fully agree. I mean, and then like LO comp change. I mean, like, can you, can you even remember what it was like when we used to get rate sheets and lock, you know what I mean? Like, yes. it's, it's like, it's, it's nuts to think about days that, that, <laughs> they're long gone. Try to explain that to a newcomer in the industry. You know, someone with an NMLS number in the two millions. It's just like, it. they just, there's no way you could possibly understand. You had to have experienced it. So, okay. You graduate high school. Did you know right away you wanted to go to college? Uh, was that like, you knew you were doing that or yeah. what, what yeah. was your, what was your path? Yeah, hundred percent. So my, my journey playing soccer and traveling and, and I knew the commitments and investment. My goal was absolutely, not only was I going to go to college, I was going to go to a D1 college play soccer, business school is what I was starting to kind of lean into a little bit. And, and I made my decision based on, I wanted to have an opportunity to compete, to play. Cause at that time I was still training a little bit with the, um, like the national team and getting called up. And then, you know, all these things are going on. I wanted to play. And yeah. so I ended up staying in Memphis, which is, it's, it's such a unique story. I had originally committed over to Yukon, the coach retires and then a relationship had been built with the local coach there at Memphis. I mean, he was there. He had seen me grow up, seen me play. And I felt like he had a real commitment to me as a person, not just a player. And that was, that was what sealed the deal for me is like, I, I knew at some point soccer doesn't continue forever. Right. I, I'm not, uh, I'm not Tom Brady playing until 44. <laughs> uh, that doesn't happen in soccer very often. So that's what made my decision. And then the same point, the relationship with my parents being there, was huge. Like they could come watch my games. And for me, that was what was important, right? Like I got to play at a top school, D1, have my parents there, understood the city, get a great education, had some friends that were already there that were older that I knew would be important because who you're around and who's going to help you get through that freshman year. Freshman year is not easy when you're trying to compete and play soccer and on the bus and on the road and new school and this whole new world. So I made the right decision. For me, it, it, it turned out fantastic yeah four great years and just very thankful brother i'm looking at my notes here and like there is nothing that is not perfect here on this piece of paper here you are like mr perfection is there anything that you like really struggled with i mean here granted here you got a big car accident six that's huge yeah anything so, else like ma major major happen in you know in those early years yeah, so, so people hear that story and they, they don't hear all the, the the little things that happened through. So last game of my freshman year, we're in the playoffs against the University of South Florida. We're losing. Um, and I decide, you know what? I'm going to leave. I'm a goalkeeper. I'm going to leave and push up the field. I'm going to try to help my team. Like we're going to try to get a goal. As I'm running back, I'm running backwards. 
and my leg kind of hyperextends, it stays and kind of goes the wrong direction. Tear my ACL. Holy cow. Oh yeah. Don't know it at the moment, but I go to kick the ball after it goes out for a goal kick and I go to kick the ball. I'm like, dude, I can't kick the ball. Like something's wrong with my knee. So as I go back to the hotel, I realized like very quickly, my knee is swelling at a fast, like alarming rate. We've got to fly back in the morning. I'm sitting in the hotel room, you know, all the guys, they're going out doing their thing. Cause you know, it's last game. It's over. Right. I'm like, Oh crap. So I'm on crutches. They, they help me. I'm in the back flying back, you know, putting my leg out and all that stuff. I get back. I know what's going to happen. Right. When I get back to our doctor um, for the school and all that ACL surgery, I'm like, okay, cool. So this is like November. When can I play? He goes, ah, at best, maybe nine months. Some people take a year. It depends on all this stuff. I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like I got to play. I've got to play. So I have to go through one of the most lonely seasons of my life of when you're not on the field with the team, you're not on the field with the team. Somebody's coming for your spot. Somebody's looking to take your spot that's coming up and just the rehab alone, doing all that by myself. It's like, dude, it's lonely. That, that stuff. Nobody talks about the injuries and what you have to do off the field and to build myself back. And I'm proud to say like, I went through that tunnel, but this is defining moments. I started the next year. I was back on the field doing everything that I was told to do and more. And I came back the next year and, and my sophomore year wasn't a great year. Honestly, uh, my freshman year was a phenomenal year. Sophomore year, I was kind of working my way back in the team. We didn't do as well and all of that. So yeah, Jim, if you, if you listen long enough, you might see that as being like, Oh, this is all lined up in there. But the reality is, I mean, there's lots of points in my career, soccer, and then professionally completely derailed. And if you look statistically, the amount of people that have an ACL tear or get injured like that and don't come back, you'd be alarmed. Yeah. It's, it's not, maybe they make it back. They re-injure it. Maybe they make it back. They don't play. Maybe they make it back and they just, they don't, they're not fit. They're not in shape. So um, that was probably one of the toughest points because I was like, am I going to lose my spot? Am I going to lose my scholarship? Am I like, like, I'm not hanging out with the boys anymore. Right. Life is not good when you have a, a big surgery like that for a few months, you're in a dark place. Right. I mean, literally your entire life is going to change no matter what. And it's just like, well, what are you going to do about it? And you, you bounce back. That's pretty incredible. Well, okay. So bring us to after college. Did you graduate? I'm sure you did. You seem like you, oh, you, yeah. do, not, you do not fail at something. I mean, it's just like, that's, that's like the theme that I'm, that I'm getting from you. And even if you do fail, you're coming back twice as strong and you're going to, you're going to get the W. You um, finish what you start. So I, I committed to my parents. This is a big thing is I committed. I would graduate. So after my senior year of playing, we play in the fall. Um, I was able to go play professionally and I knew I had to come back because I had to leave school early. So I still had credits. I had to come back and I did come back. That was one of my commitments to my parents is I'm coming back. I'm going to graduate. You have a certain amount of years too on scholarship that you can come back in. Right. So I'm, like, I'm going to come back and finish this deal. And, and I did um, Fogelman college of business and economics and, you know, really proud of that because dude, that was hard. Like if you leave school for longer than a year and you try to come back and you're out of that, that rhythm. And I've like, I've been exposed to this world of like professional athletes and like, and there's parties going, do I need to come back? Well, yeah. I told my parents I would come back. I mean, it's, it's a crossroads of like, you know, but again, you got to do what you say you're going to do. And in those moments, my parents, yeah, I told them I would do it. So hundred percent, let your yes be yes is, right. is what I like to say. And, and yeah, you're hundred percent right. And um, I think a lot of people would have ducked out, but I mean, also the same time too, there's almost no shame in it, but you told your parents you would, and you, very, you, you hold your parents in a high regard. 
That's right. And they wanted you to do that. So, I mean, if it was something where it's like, look, I'm, I don't even know what I'm getting and, you know, I'm so far away and, you know, I didn't tell my parents this, I'm paying for my, whatever, um, you know, no shame in it either way. But um, did, it, I have to ask while we're on the topic, did you ever, did, do you use your degree in the position that you're in today? Yeah. Yeah. The, the business and economic side, you know, I think it's it's been a unique gift of we had folks from FedEx, IP, AutoZone, all of these folks that would come in and they would be like, basically professors and teach you things and everything from sales to marketing to negotiations and like classes today. I mean, I love it. I love a nice Excel spreadsheet. Like we learned that in there, but you know, look at day to day. I think the, the, the way to think about economics and to see trends, the thing that I share with people is school is not so much what you learn in the books. What I've realized in my role is I can spot trends and patterns and I've learned now in the past several years how to create those. There's a difference because you can see them, right? You can see patterns. You can watch the market. You understand. But if you're running a successful business and can you create patterns and can you create success in the face of like this year, right? Like the mortgage market's going to drop down to $3 trillion. There's enough customers for us to grow a little bit of market share and we don't go backwards on our volume. Can you create success in any given market? I, I learned some of those I would say like mindset shifts in, in college was great. And the fact that, look, you got to commit, right? So if I can commit to doing that, what do I need now that I, I consider myself a student of the game still to today? I love to learn. And I think that was birthed from some of those professors in college is I love to learn new things, right? Like it may be hard, but I do still have a desire and curiosity. I love to learn. And I think that's what, for most great leaders, that's what separates them, right? That, that's, that's who I want to be. Right. Hundred percent. I love it, I, and I would agree. Most great leaders are diligently always learning, always yeah. you know opening up a book, always you know reading stuff, getting you know learning the newest you know technology. Even they they could be sixty five years old, but they're still learning the new stuff. Um, any successful CEO or business leader is is anyway. Yeah. Um, all right, so you were in we're in uh, professional soccer. Uh, lead us from professional soccer to the mortgage industry. Generally speaking. Mm -hmm mortgage industry falls in your lap. I don't know. I, I don't know many people except for Alec Hansen, by the way, yeah, like literally exactly. he's probably the only person that I know, like, like, okay, well you're born into it. You know, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. How did you fall into bring, bring us from, from, from pro soccer to, to mortgage? Yeah. Well, Alex story is probably like mine in a sense. We both start at the bottom, man. Um, that's what I respect about that guy is when I went back and finished my degree, no one would hire me. I mean, it was, it was quite embarrassing, right? Like I reached out to family, friends, I'm reaching out all the place. Like I'm going to volunteer. At one point I was volunteering at our church. I'm like, will anybody hire me? Like I will work for free and show you that, that I'm hireable. I can add value and, and just nothing open. Right. And I remember one day our, our college coach at the time, he's like, Hey Brian, why don't you go to this? There's a job fair at the school. And I'm like, Oh, great. <laughs> job fair. I'm sure there's going to be some exciting opportunities there, coach. Thanks. And sure enough, I'm walking around, I'm meeting people. They're all at the tables and all that stuff. And I go over to this group and they start talking about, they, they actually introduce themselves, bring me over to the table and talk to me. And they're like, Hey, we hire athletes. We, we help them be successful. We have a training program. We give you this base salary and you've got commission. You've got all these opportunities to earn more money. And I'm like, what's your company? What do you do? And like, Oh, we're consumer finance. It was Wells Fargo Financial, strip center next to a pizza place, a Chinese buffet place, 
literally 45, 50 minutes away from me. I lived in Memphis and this was all the way into Mississippi. Wow. And they're like, we got an opportunity. We're going to train you. I'm like, well, what do I do? They're like, oh, just show up. We're going to, we're going to train you. We're going to teach you all this. Well, here's the thing. The lesson in all of this is be willing to take chances because what I recognize, I like these guys. I'm like, they're going to train me. They're going to teach me. No one else is hiring me. I might as well try this. Well, I go there and have you seen those commercials, Jimmy, they're like, you know, 0% financing for furniture, no payments for four years, all that, that craziness. Right. That you, was, have a job, that you have $199. You can get that approved. Was, that was us, man. That was, that was me. So they, they taught me about credit, income, assets. We would underwrite loans, process them, close them, everything in the branch. And then we started to do auto loans. They kind of graduate you through credit cards. Then we started to do debt consolidation. Then they introduced me to mortgage. And I tell everybody, man, I learned to make cold calls. I learned to be um, better on the phone and get really good at building relationships, getting people to come in that were twice my age and to trust me and to help them manage their debt. I learned a lot um, wow. in a short period of time. They took a chance on me. Well, fast forward about a year and a half later, um, my fiance at the time, now my wife, uh, we decided we're going to buy a house. And so what do you do? You know, I'm like, well, I'll work at Wells Fargo. I reach over the mortgage side. I got a friend over there that I played soccer with and all that. And I go through it and I'm like, I think I could do this. This is a lot more fun. Like people buying houses are happy. People coming in, getting furniture and like me consolidating their debt. They, they, they're not happy. They got a lot of debt, a lot of things right. going on. So I realized, wow, I know people that are going to buy houses like me, like they're my age. And then I knew people that were real estate agents and family friends that you know, were in the business. So I took a chance. I'll never forget uh, the manager over that time, Mike. He's like, yeah, man, um, come on over here. We'll leave your salary behind. We'll give you $2,000 a month, two, 2000 a month gross for three months. We're going to teach you. We're going to put you on the phones. Like you got to, you got to go self-source your business. Here's the 4155. Here's the FHA handbook. Here's some guidelines, like all this stuff. I'm like, what's going on? Like what? And dude, I just stayed with it. I had people that took me under their wing there and, and I started to just fall in love with the fact that I could actually help people. Like I just went through it. I knew how bad and how afraid I was and how bad the process honestly was kind of broken in some spots. So I go, I think I could do something with this. So yeah, I don't know that it, it found me. I found it, whatever happened, but but that's that's my story of how I started to develop an appreciation and I fell in love with being able to serve people through an area I didn't even know existed. Well, and I mean, you really did. You talk about taking a chance and I mean, you drove 50 minutes away to go take this opportunity. And really, for no, I mean, sure, was there a lot of other opportunities out there? Well, no, but this wasn't necessarily even still like, yeah, it, that really is. That's like divine intervention. It really is like, like, OK, well, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want a job? And you kind of have to prove it. And then I love how an Alex story, you're right, is is pure fire as well. But like just starting out being like laughed at coming in with like a Walmart suit type of a thing on and being laughed out of open houses. But um, but that's really interesting, too, that you that you started in more of a call center environment, which is I think not a lot of people that are that I I can almost guarantee how, how many of the people that you started with are still in the industry. Oh, and successful. There's a few that I was able to mentor through that are in it. But man, it's it's not a lot, not yeah. a lot. I mean, it's just it is a different time. But I mean, yeah. it's 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 really tough to be successful now if you were successful then to kind of get that bad taste in your mouth. And then you're like, well, I can't make a million dollars anymore. And that's I'm sure what they were selling. Like, here, come over here, be a mortgage loan officer and make a million dollars. And 
uh, you know, we'll stick you in the corner and put you on the phone and hope, yeah. hope you know, roll the dice and you hope it all works out. Well, all right. Uh, I want to be uh, super respectful of your time, uh, Brian. And like, my goodness, I want to have you back on. I love your story. Um, there's a couple of questions that I ask everybody that comes on. And I, I just I want to make sure that I get these out. So cool. first one is this. Do you feel like you ever had a big break? Mm. I think there's been a few breaks and the way that I'll frame this up is I think I've had some breaks that were successful breaks and I've had some breaks that were big failures. And so I'll, I'll tell one of each because I think success without failure and failure without success is empty. Like they, they, they go together. They're not they're not independent of each other. Anybody that's truly successful today, um, if, if we hung out long enough today and the audience listened, like we, we could be here for hours and I could tell you all the things I failed at and setbacks and bad decisions and things I would change. The reality is like the way I'm wired, I don't think about those a lot, right? Like I just try to take the lesson and, and extrapolate like what, what was that? Why did that happen? What can I learn from it? And how do I move forward? Um, you know, the first one I would share is is the fact that I was given a chance. I talked about that a minute ago of like given a chance to come over to mortgage and just given a shot. Well, later on, I was given another shot as I moved up, you know, scored all the points and all that stuff I say is like put points on the board as a top producer and all that. I was given a chance by a friend of mine in Florida to move there and to help out grow the new construction division, help out build out all these condo teams, just to see a different market. That was a big break for me in the sense of it didn't actually work out, but I moved there. We had our two kids, which were amazing blessing. We, we had you know wanted a kid for so long and been trying and trying and trying. We finally have our first, our daughter, our oldest. And my wife and I are in Tampa, Florida with no family, no one there. I moved there and think it was oh into 05, 06. Well, you know what happened after that? Like I got to ride the high and immediately crash. And, and when I say lose it all, like lose it all, couldn't buy a house when we, we moved back to Tennessee, pulled out 401k, did everything I could. Like, dude, it, I'd never been that low before. My job gets eliminated while I'm there. And I thought it was over. Like I, that was a, a, a point in which I considered leaving the industry. I wanted to move back and like, do I just start building my, my own personal production back up in this capacity over here? It was a big break in the sense I was given an opportunity. I got to see what success could look like. And it was immediately very, not very long after all ripped away from me. And some was in my control and a lot wasn't. And it, it taught me a lot of lessons. So I'd say that's the first one is success and failure in that actually taught me a lot of things. And then, and I got to use the, the Lone Depot story is, is, is really unique. Four years ago, it'll be four years this March. When I'd met Anthony before and there was nothing really here, there was a regional before me and, and it didn't, it didn't go um, as planned and all that. And they brought me in and there's a call center. There's a manager here, Chad, and then Tyler's in Huntsville. And I'm leaving a larger team doing more production. So the ego says, don't move. Like, don't, don't go do this, dude. You're, you're going to a hundred and $125 million a year team. What are you doing? My big break was I was given the opportunity to come lead something that was pretty much unknown, not built yet. And I was given the keys. And I say this today is 
for me, I knew that's where I would thrive is give me the keys. Allow me to build it. I love creating, building, coaching, like developing and, and having my, my fingerprint on that and collaborating with other people. That was a huge break for me. But obviously, there's a lot of hard work on the other side of it. But, dude, they didn't have to choose me. There's other there's other qualified, maybe even more qualified candidates, quite honestly. But for whatever reason, my big break was I wasn't afraid to build relationships prior to that, that they knew me. It wasn't it wasn't a I had to go look for like a job or I had to call people or do anything. That's the power of relationships. If you build relationships right and you do the right thing when nobody's looking and take care of people. There, there's a there's a big break on the other side of it. So I'll just, dude, I'll share those. I have, I have lots of others, but I think those two for people listening, hopefully can relate to and and see that like, it's possible. You just got to put yourself out there and you got to work hard. Be great where you are today. Be great. And opportunities, they, they tend to be rewarded to those that perform where they are. Brother, that's like the best answer I think I've ever got to that question. Your eyes twinkle when you're talking about getting the, getting the keys. I mean, that's just like... Like, ooh, let's get it. Yeah. yeah. All right. If you were to do it all over again, Brian, what would you change? Nothing. And I mean, that's not a, I've thought about that before. And this, this kind of brings in my faith to things of like, I think God's uniquely gifted all of us with talents and experiences and things in our life that have happened for a reason. And it happened for us, not to us. And I look back at everything has happened for a reason to put me where I am today and my family where it is and the opportunities, the people that are in my life today. And to go back and change that would, would like discredit the experiences. It would just like, like God allowed me to go through certain seasons and those down years and things and to taste success, but know that there was better, there was even better out there. And, and it allows, I think my drive and my pursuit for the best version of me is I can, I can envision like one day going to heaven and going, okay, God, man, I hope I did well. You know, like, did, did I, did I use all those gifts and talents? And he looks at me and he's like, you, you, you used them all. Like you brought people in the kingdom. You shared your gifts. You were all in all the time. Not that I was perfect, not that I always got it right, because that's definitely not true, um, but that I did the best I could with what I had and, and made the most of things and made people around me feel better about themselves and inspired others to go take action. And you mentioned the Bible. It's like it, you're, if you're given a talent, you can't bury it in the mud and hope it's going to multiply. It's not going to multiply and happen. it'll be given to somebody else. Was there ever a time, Brian, you felt like giving up? Yeah. Unfortunately, more, more than I care to admit, um, several years ago, you know, Dr. Kevin Elko, he helps out with like University of Alabama, Nick Saban and the group there. I heard Dr. Elko speak and I wish I'd heard him speak earlier in life. And so this is a lesson that helps shift my perspective on this now in the last few years, but he talked about actions over feelings Actions over feelings, actions over feelings. I start to repeat that to myself when I feel like I'm going to give up. I'm going to quit. I'm not going to do something. And look, sometimes at the highest of highs, I remember after I didn't make the final team with the Olympic team going to Japan and the U.S. national team, I get called into the pool and I don't make the final team. I remember going to my coach. I'm like, 
So I think I'm done. Being the wise coach that he was, and my dad being very supportive said, man, why don't you just take off a couple weeks? Pressure was getting to me. And they allowed me to have some space. And so what I love about that moment is we all need to know when we need space, not quit. I didn't stop. It just meant I wasn't going to every practice. I wasn't in everything, but I had to make up for that. I, I paid the price is when I came back. What I love about the lesson my coach taught me was I ended up having to run after practices. The games, when I started to come back, I had to do extra because it wasn't fair to my team that I, I, I had taken a little break, right? There was a lesson in there. We don't quit. We don't give up on those things. Um, on the other side of it, Jimmy, you know what I've learned as I've gotten older is there are times that you do need to quit something that is holding you back. When you recognize it is no longer serving you and aligned with your dreams or your priorities, your beliefs, there are times that you need to quit being around certain people, doing certain activities. There are things that you do need to quit, but I use this every day. Dude, when I go work out in the mornings, the reason why I post some of those and I go work out, is I do hope it inspires some people to go get their workout on. But I work out in such a way with the intensity and I want a workout that's going to push me to want to quit. But I don't. <laughs> it's wired different. Like if you can do that over and over, watch how the rest of your life, like, you, you will change so much around you. And I love that because every day I get an opportunity to do that. Brother, it's just like you you command that. You're just like, you own that. I, I love listening to you talk about that. That's just like, wow, that is an inspiration. I mean, truly, like it makes it makes me think like, wow, what's your excuse? I mean, it's just like, okay, you know, I mean, but but truly, do you really have one? And, and this guy's driving to get to the point where he wants to quit. I mean, you can't even get started. And I, I love that actions over feelings. That's just, that's fire advice. Um, all right, last question uh, to set it up. <clears throat> There's a young Brian out there. And, you know, maybe they're, you know, going to soccer. Maybe, um, maybe they're, you know, they're drive, driving their, you know, brown and tan Toyota pickup truck. Maybe um, they're driving their Mitsubishi Eclipse with the base in the back. Oh, maybe yeah. they're considering getting into, you know, uh, uh, into mortgage. Maybe they're, you know, trying to looking to create those patterns to create that success. Um, you know, maybe they're given an opportunity. They need to drive, you know, 50 minutes away and they're just considering, you know, what, what do I got to do? What advice would you give to someone looking to get it done? Hmm. I think the best advice through all those kind of different seasons you described right there is um, I think it was a podcast. I was listening to Dabo Sweeney. He said it, he said it really, really well, but it is be great where you are. And I think of it this way of uh, be where your feet are, be present, whoever you're with in that moment, whatever you're doing in that moment, whether you're the janitor, you're the CEO, you're a new loan officer, you're a new real estate agent, you're the top regional manager, like whatever your role is, be great like absolutely freaking great. If you do that, I think you'll find fulfillment in your life. And what I have recently learned in the past couple of years, that started to redefine what success looked like to me and my family, not other people's de definition, because I've lived that life and that's empty and it sucks. Um, be great where your 
be where your feet are. And then I think define what success looks like for you and just relentlessly pursue that man. Like every day, don't, don't think you have another day promised or another week or another year, just go all in on whatever it is right in front of you. Right. Being in that moment. I think that's blend those together. You have an incredible life. Love it, brother. Love it. All right. I want to thank our audience for joining us today. I especially want to thank Brian for coming on the show. And Brian, if someone was looking to reach out to you to connect, what would be the best way for them to do so? Yes, I'm active over on Instagram and someone had Brian Covey. So do the Brian Covey. <laughs> and then I'm active over on LinkedIn. You can find me there. We've got a website that's got everything from the podcast, the book, all the social stuff. And that's just www.briancovey.com. Hit me up. Let me know if anything resonated or I can help inspire you or support your journey. I, I believe in building communities and collaborating. It's just one of my, my core beliefs. So hit me up. Let me know. And I'm glad to go on the journey with you. And thanks for having me, Jim. This, this has been fun. I knew we'd be at a jam and bring out hopefully some good value for for all the listeners. Brother, I have so many snippets that I already I'm, I'm excited to just just put out there. And I know any listeners taking a ton of value. And I just want to personally attest to, you know, you do actually you're looking to add value to the community. And I just I want to personally thank you for, you know, trying to make our industry a better industry. And uh, and look, follow on Instagram. I love watching your story. I mean, it's it really is. If nothing else, it's, it's motivation to get out there and do something. So, um, uh, all right, this has been the Get It Done podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And if you've enjoyed the show, taking some value, hey, can you do me a favor? Can you open up Apple Podcasts, scroll all the way down to the bottom and tap that five star? You know, they made the world to me. Maybe write a review, uh, hit that subscribe button. All those things make a huge difference in helping us reach more people. Once again, I am Jimmy Ryan. This has been the Get It Done podcast. Thanks so much for listening.